All right, you guys ready to get this started? Let's go. All right, next level mindset, baby. Coming at you, ready to do another one. So perk your ears up and ready to get another nugget. Here we go. Yo, what's good? What's good? Next level mindset, baby, coming at you. This is JB. 40, 41. And I'll, I'll answer for JP. He's stuffing his face with pizza. And we got someone on the phone. Who we got? You got me, Steve Bischoff. <laughs> got the brother connecting the game. My little brother Steve in the building, man. Hey, thank you for hopping on, man. Yeah, especially especially the stuff we're going to be throwing at you and the stuff you can probably bring to the table. But uh, feel free to jump in anytime and uh, add input. For but this, sure. this one, this one's for you. So, you know, big thing. We'll throw a little bit of background. Steve, Steve's, Steve is now a, a counselor, correct? Counselor? Director. Direct. Sorry. James, I'm a director now. So, director of Multicultural Student Services. Good stuff, man. Yes, and a, a, a alumni from Wazoo has never left the campus and stayed there. <laughs> and a, he knows the culture, man. The only time me and my brother don't talk is during the Apple Cup. Let's clarify <laughs> that conversation with you. So, we, <laughs> I can't go there during Thanksgiving. I don't think it'll be pretty. But um, but uh, so Steve Steve's there, uh, a Filipino. Pacific Island descent, a took over. That's why he's a multicultural. Also, a doctor, a doctor. He has gotten his doctorate degree. And uh, Steve, you're also doing. Uh, you're professing too, right? Um, sorry, you're cutting out a little bit um, on it, but uh, I am not regularly teaching anymore. I think it's, it's been a couple of years since I taught my last class. Um, and but yeah, I'm ready to delve into that if i ever get back into it hey check out the class he was teaching though what class were you teaching steve i was teaching a lot of classes i was teaching intro to comparative ethnic studies intro to asian pacific american studies race and racism in u.s pop culture and one of my favorites i got to help um change up was hip-hop around the globe which is an introductory hip-hop studies class hip-hop so baby cool. hip-hop so good stuff no <laughs> hey 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 one thing I'm, I'm i'm proud of you brother so hey real talk the main thing and i one thing we wanted steve on here for was all the crap that's going on right here in america and and someone someone that's delved in and, and one thing he's a very very strong activist on this stuff and it, it took me like hey i'm a stubborn dude and it took me a little bit to finally get where he was coming from and I appreciate everything he does. But anyway, today we're going to talk about we're going to talk about pressure and stress. Stress. Like, what stress do you guys have? Well, I was stressed out trying to eat this pizza pizza before we got <laughs> out of here, man. Jeez. He was worried about getting the oil on his freaking yeah, pants man. and stuff. Man, he eating this thing, but then he'll go burn like 700, 800 calories in his workout. Yeah, so, you're right. So, yeah, you're I wish right. that was only stress. What, like me, when I think of stress, it's so funny because we're all naturally stressed. Like in, in my world, the level of stress is how you do it. And once you get used to a level of stress, you push yourself to another one and you push yourself to another one. In fact, I, I, I thrive with stress, but also it's very tough on your body. I mean, it's very, very wearing and tearing. Like right now, I know I'm taking a week vacation. I know I'm taking a week vacation. But I'm like stressed good, good. because I'm afraid I'm gonna leave. Like, <laughs> like right now I'm sitting here like, do I have enough bags? Like, I find stress. So when I talk about stress today, I want you people to understand people that are people that are dealing with anxiety, dealing with those kind of things. I'm gonna tell you, it's okay, but stress creates pressure, and pressure is what molds you and gets you where you need to go. But you can't break it. And uh, you know, talking talking to talking to Steve here uh, on on the campus level, 
you see too many kids. You see too many kids n putting too much stress on themselves, which causes them to to leave school, to to uh, start drinking. At, at the suicide rates at an all time high right now, uh -huh. and it's scary. And uh -huh. and and being a minority in, in at, at Washington State, uh, uh, what is it, what is the demographic there? Caucasian. Um, in our university, it's roughly um, you know sixty percent uh, to two thirds um, of our campus student population of white. So compared to a lot of places in Eastern Washington, you know we're um, a diverse area because of what the university draws. Because um, overwhelmingly, Eastern Washington is predominantly white, and the second demographic would be uh, Chickenex, Latinx, uh, Mexican American, etc. Um, from that history. Yeah, yeah, and how how do how how does how do they compare? How do they compare like education level, not education level, but the work ethic and and their results on the campus? Uh, ooh, 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 ooh. Compare who? Like just compare just across the board. Are they are they hanging with like are they are they top of the class? Oh, oh yeah, I mean we have our excellent students as well. Um, in in terms of if you're talking about white students compared to students of color. Um, yeah, there's definitely um, a lot of excellence that happens. But, I mean, the thing that is, is a social issue is that we talk about race, but it's also tied to class and gender and, uh, and their isms, which make it more challenging. And so um, there are, there's a lot more higher representation, for instance, of first-gen students. We call first-gen students their parents haven't gotten any, um, uh, haven't gotten a four-year degree. So that's how we measure it for our university is if their parents haven't gotten a four-year degree, they're considered first-gen. So high representation for first-gen students. And there's a high representation for what we use is Pell eligible. And the Pell federal loan is given based on um, socioeconomic status. So that's a, a, an easy indicator on who, who, um, who qualifies because of that status. So... Gotcha. So first gen students, like if people don't get it, this talking about stress and pressure, first generation from coming from a culture, like even from my culture alone, it's, it's kind of a scary thing. Cause you're putting the, literally, I remember someone saying they put their dynasty on their back, right? They're expected to do it cause they're setting the tone. And it's kind of a scary thing because you can't look to guidance for this. Now you are paving a new path for your, for your last name, if you will. It's a scary conversation. So now you have a lot of this pressure. It's not about just getting good grades. It's not about getting a, getting a degree. It's, there's a lot more that gets built into that. It's, it's about, you know, how is my family going to do if I fail now? What do I do? Those kind of things. It becomes a tougher conversation. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if it um, I know it keeps people in school, but I know it helps people drop out of school as well because it's okay. Yeah. It's still okay. But once you become that first generation, guess what? Now it's an expectation. Well, and even, I mean, you compare it to, I love comparing everything back to the sports analogy. Quarterbacks be quarterbacks because they want the pressure on their shoulders. They want to be down by five, two minutes left on the clock, fourth quarter, ball in their hands. You know, they, they want that kind of pressure. So I, I'd imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, but some of those individuals that may be in that category that are first generation they do want that pressure on their back because they want to do something that no one in their family's ever done before so they do they might take it a little bit more serious a little more to heart than some of those people that mom dad grandma grandpa great grandparents all graduated from the same university 
Yeah, it can be sometimes. And it's not to say that there's not challenges for, you know, legacy, what you're referring to as legacy students that have had generations. But um, yeah, I think that it's a balance. There's pressure of, um, once, as, as you put it, um, James, about dynasty. You know, there's, whether you like it or not, you're going to be in that pressure. But some do relish that opportunity to, to do something first. I try to play up to that for first-gen students that I work with. And not every first-gen student is the same. Um, it's they're, you know, some are coming from different socioeconomic status. First generation doesn't equal that they're coming from a poor um, household, a community, but there is a higher representation because not having the resources to go to things like, do things like college. So, so like you were saying as well, James, about the, um, the relishing the pressure. Yeah, some people, some students do. They take a lot of pride in, like, I've, I'm, I've maybe have been forced into this, but I also want to set a, a tradition or example for siblings, etc. Yeah, well, you set an example for me, man. <laughs> so, no, hey, it is. It is. It, it becomes whether it's it's a thought about it, it's an expectation. I'll talk about this. You know, <clears throat> you made a valid point. When people think of first gen, they don't. They they think it's um, because of poor background, poor environment, those yeah, kind of absolutely. things. Yeah. But it's not. We just talked about. We talked about this on our last one. We talked about it. Doesn't matter what 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 you come from or where you're at or what you deal with it's it's what you deal with the situation and it's a very unique situation just because this person comes from a poor background doesn't mean they're you know they're going to have more challenges as the person that comes from a middle class background or even a higher higher level background they're still going to have those because the path hasn't been paved the path hasn't been paved and i'll tell you steve what, what, what what's one of the big things what's one of the biggest challenges where you're like, oh, I wish they can get through this because we would have more people graduate in the multicultural level. What would it be? Well, I think that this is for students as a whole, but definitely for our students of color is like the intertwinement of finances. You know, how many of our students have to worry about just their own living, but they're, um, I, I have many situations. There's been, a, I can give many examples where students, they send some of their money of their uh, financial aid uh, loan or money that, yeah, they'll they'll send that back home. They need to help with family issues. They, you know, they they there's a challenge of how they can help support their family back home if they're coming from, especially obviously a low income. If they're coming from that background, that there's an added pressure for students to, okay, what am I doing? How can I help out? Or maybe they're doing okay with their finances, but they do feel a pressure to like, well, I, I should be contributing too, so that my parents or my family doesn't have to have the burden of me going to school, which continues to rise, continues to be more expensive. And uh, so, yeah. yeah, I would say finances. Finance gets your finances line. So I'll tell you, hey, I, I still say financial financial literacy is needed for like levels before even this. And it's mm -hmm. uh, for both adults as well as students in this conversation. Mm -hmm. So I agree with that 100%. Mm -hmm. So what's going to be like the pressure and stress on let's say a low-income family or someone that's first-gen, <clears throat> excuse me, like with the new, with everything that's going on, like the online, are they going to be able to get online, do an online classes, stuff like that? Well, we definitely, there's a lot of stuff that was put out because of everything, of course. So we're in these unique, you know, there's a lot of words we're reusing, unique, unknown, and they're all true. It's just tiring. But yeah, we've had to experience that at the end of spring. Um, how can we adapt? We, we expect, how can we expect our students to succeed? So, um, at every level from faculty, how they've organized their classes to internet. Um, you know, we, we had to move to a point where 
we were encouraging students um, or we were getting um, resources for mobile hotspots that could be you could apply to get one but you know once again that's a, it's a great re, um, kind of reaction but students still had to apply they still had to wait we were encouraging students even though it's far from ideal to go to parking lot park into certain places across the state um, for the the wi-fi access but i mean let's let's think about that you know sitting in a car trying to do a class i mean it is just far from ideal um so we we learned a lot already from spring that this this pandemic affects as i hate to say it you have to expect it because but the the low income you know the the, the most vulnerable populations have been affected the most from this pandemic so going back to your question about this coming school year we just got done with um we had put out our housing and dining rules and um, a lot of people spoke up when they saw that our university was going to have a no refund um, clause for housing and dining if the campus had to close for whatever reason. And so our students and faculty, staff, community spoke up. And just yesterday, I'm glad that our university did the right thing. And then they said, okay, we are going to examine some extenuating circumstances. But if you think about that policy of a no refund, who's going to affect that the most? Who has who, who the greatest risk? Once again, those that can't afford to just risk that money. So, you know, that's what this is. These are the types of things that you shouldn't have to worry about. And in in, from my perspective of education, if you're going to be doing it, you shouldn't have to worry about. But we're having to have these considerations of what it's going to look like and how can we try to move towards more equity um, for all students to try to help them succeed. Could you imagine sitting in a car in the middle of December in Washington and trying to do a class? <laughs> right, real talk. No, real talk. Yeah, that, that uh, mind you, Pullman's, Pullman's small, man. Right. So, like, you think about it. I mean, I know that these, and it's like, uh, I don't think too many of the students are really from Pullman. Some of them, most of them no, are from no, all over. Definitely so, not. But they're from small towns because Pullman, Washington State, is known for their agricultural. So we actually have a uh, we have, I, I know that you're you're right you're right because we definitely have done better at catering to our east side of the state. UW is a great school. Yes, we have a rival. UW is a great school. I don't get it that you know go to that school um, as well. Um, but they we attract because of being an in-state school. We attract students heavily from the west side as well so yeah, yeah. we have an interesting dynamic but you're right that agricultural background on the east side predominantly there's interest to go to wsu and we do um we have been catering better to our eastern washington needs um specifically on on those lines as well so you're right but we do have a sizable amount of our population coming from the west side yeah and it's coming from a, like you know when i say pulling up into a wi-fi in a small town Right. Mm -hmm. And then also, mm -hmm. too, think about how much is like, you know, the, people tell you don't go to a local Starbucks and hop on your Wi-Fi because people can hack in your account. So it's, <laughs> right. it's kind of a, it's kind of a scary conversation. So that is kind of that. I didn't even think of those kind of challenges. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, the other thing is, is like, think about just like those challenges. I mean, I think we all can agree from many, uh, many of the workforces that we've um, for many, not every job, but a lot of jobs. We've all had to become part time IT specialists uh, trying to figure out. How, why is this not connecting? How do I get on? How do I use this technology? We're expecting that now for our students. Um, and Wait, even you, though many of them are- You're doing yeah. that for your students, not just for me anymore? <laughs> yeah, that's the hookup. That's the hookup, man. I, no, you know what it is. It's usually, it used to be for dad back in the day. So, oh yeah. my goodness. So, so Steve, but, 
real quick, talking about pressure and things like that, let's talk about you as a, as kind of one of their role models. What is the pressure like on someone in your position, you know, trying to help these, these yeah. students graduate that may have not, you know, yeah. ever, ever sure. had that kind of a mentor before? Well, I do want to be clear that, like, I mean, we work with students across the board, and while our, we do target students that are um, have have different factors that put them higher risk because uh, for not being able to complete graduation, I also work with students that are just killing it, and we're just trying to get them into the next phase. If that's a job, if that is um, grad school, if it's uh, you know um, awards on campus, etc. But in terms of just pressure um, as a whole, uh, for myself. I mean, I have a job and I'm very thankful to have a job. And so I, I can't imagine for many people in this economy, but in, in this work, um, I really try to communicate to students that stress is, when I work with them one-on-one, stress is given in our life. Stress is, and, and we often um, think of stress negatively, but stress, and this is from the, my psychology friends, like that are, you know, they, they showed me this, uh, the stress curve stress is needed from the moment you wake up if you didn't have stress you wouldn't wake up to get to a job to have breakfast so the, the question is is what kind of stress and how much stress and Absolutely. so in the when you think of the stress curve it's like a bell curve you know the optimal thing is your productivity and stress are right in the middle at the top of the bell curve once we get too much stress our productivity and things we're trying to accomplish actually start going down and then at some point um, we could experience or have experienced burnout where you, you feel debilitated, sometimes straight up debilitated. People nap, people sleep, people don't want to do anything. They'll be distracted easier. And so when I talk to students about balancing the stress, I try to explain to them more of like, it's something that, you know, we all are dealing with and not every stress is the same. But if we start to embrace aspects of stress in, in managing it, we can have more progress in trying to get the things we want to finish or try to achieve at our goals, which is kind of the, the irony of it is that if you don't, um, if you don't, once you get to the second part of the bell curve, you know, if you think of a bell curve, you get to the second part where you're on the downslope, the only way you're going to bring yourself back on the curve is to do stuff. And that's the toughest part because usually if you're on the downside of the curve, you're like, I don't want to do this, you know, so then it compounds. But so I try to um, break it down to students. Let's, let's start at the basics. Let's, let's list everything you're worried, you're stressed about, everything, personal, classes, finances, and then just starting from that list, let's start to manage what is our priority right now. And then that is one way I try to get students on track if they're experiencing a lot of stress. Okay, let's start to manage action. Let's manage what steps are gonna help us towards this. So. So that's one of the things I would say individually, I try to work with students and try to talk about. Cool, cool, cool. All right, so let's 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 hit some current event topics. So mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you think about mask on, mask off? What's your thoughts? Mask on, mask off. Oh, I mean, the, the thing is, is that people are saying it's political. I mean, if, if saving lives is political, then I guess not, you know, that's political, then I, I just, the thing is, is that we're even here in Pullman, we have such a small community right now because students aren't back and it's summertime and uh, um, uh, the, our, our population is roughly 26,000, 27,000 of that 20,000 students when they're here. So small community. Um, but here we hardly have any cases compared to the west side of the state. And so it's easy to get into a, um, 
a, a mindset of like, oh, there's there's nothing to be scared of. There's nothing, right. and maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. The thing is, is nothing is preventing anyone from moving around and going to different places. So that could change in a heartbeat. Um, and it's easy to be complacent, and that goes for me too. But I'm trying to do better because, you know, you you can see the stories is that yeah, many people are recovering. Overwhelmingly, people are recovering. But what about those that are not? You know, and I think it just raised our and heightened our levels of of what it means to kind of do our best to protect everybody, which is an interesting you know thing that masks have become something that people are equating to my freedom and you know things like that. And, and, right. That's, yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. To me, I mean, even the masses is to it. It's a rule. Like in my head, like like it's, it's the same conversation. It's probably the. I, I, if I complain about putting a mask on, I might as well be my five-year-old that I get mad at that gives me the big sigh when I tell him put his shoes on when he goes outside. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, rules are rules, and that's what it is. And to me, I don't, I don't have an issue with it. So, like to me, it's like it's just another piece. I mean, it, it does suck, right? Because it's change. But that just yeah. shows you how people adapt to change. Some people will go with it and understand it and make something negative about it if they don't want to go off the beaten path. But hey, it's to make us all better. To me, it's like. I look at it as I, 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 you know, all I ever think of is pops mowing the dang lawn, dude. You know what I'm saying? That's, <laughs> that's all I think about. It's like all these cats are going to mow their lawn, with the high dude. right? With the high socks and the half shirt, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, there we go. Uh, so, but no, okay. Um, well, even with that, I was just going to say my father-in-law always talks about like, you know, there's people that are complaining about having to wear masks and things like that because it goes against their freedom and. When it's there to help people and, and help protect people, you know, whether you fall in the high risk or not, you should be protecting other people. And he's like, so do you not care about the speed limit? Do you not care about stop signs? Like, those are things put yeah. in place to keep us safe. You know what I mean? Like, this is just another it preventative. It gives a reason us. for people to complain. I mean, it yeah. just bothers me, right? I mean, even even Joe's like one of the big supporters. Like, I'm cool with the mask. You know what I mean? Because Don't bother me. And it's it's mainly because his 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 sister's a nurse. Yeah. She he sees all the crap yeah. that's going on, right? So in my head, so uh, I think that yeah. Also, than the mask is that uh, it, it's something that um, I mean. Look, I get it that we have to sift through information. It's easy to get misinformation, and that goes for everyone because we can see some a post, we can see something shared, um, but do the work and just see why it can reduce. I know there's loopholes in our system. Nothing is perfect. I mean, you can see servers that maybe they're touching their mask and they're touching food. And that, that might be a, that's a loophole, obviously. Um, but in the end, you're still trying to do your best to contain your own germs. So any type of thing of reduction is going to help not spread any of those germs. So, but I think people are not willing to maybe look into where, what is the science behind it? What is the, the reason, you know, like, uh, and, and just understanding the virus itself, recognizing that, Anyone can carry it from what we know so far, and you don't have to have any symptoms. Like that alone should signal like, dang, I really could get it from family members. I could get it from my best friend, you name it. So. Right. Okay. Next one. Okay, let's 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 play with this. And I know you're a big activist on this stuff. So now we got the I, big. I don't know if I'm a big activist, but I, I try to do, do what I can. You do. You do great. And I love it. And you do 10 times more than me. But, uh, oh, I don't know about that. I think uh, I do want to point out, I think we do stuff 
in different ways. We need people in every field and in every area to push for, you know, more equi equity and and, um, and working for for what we can do in our own sphere. Right. Okay. So let me ask you this. Black Lives Matter. All right. I go back mm -hmm. and forth with all these guys all the time. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to speak my piece on what I feel when mm -hmm. people say all lives matter, those kind of things and and police lives and all that stuff. I'm not going to touch that stuff because in a way I do believe all that. But I think there needs to be a focus on some things. So mm -hmm. I want to yeah. ask you this question just because you do keep sure. up on a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. If there's one thing that the police can do to help ease the burden and the pain in the black community, what could be the one thing we can retrain, train, or get rid of in that world to help bring a little bit of ease? Oh, man. You just asked for <laughs> Yeah, that's a tough one. I actually do work with our local police because we've had some incidents as well that kind of dovetail. Not kind of, they do. Um, and, and trying to bridge student voices and community voices with our police. And I know that there's different um, feedback on defunding. And um, I, I just want to throw that out there as well. And it, it doesn't have to be a knock on police, but you know, there are alternative ways that we take care of communities. And I thought there was a good response. And I know some people feel certain, certain ways about her, but I, I personally am a big fan of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And she said something, she was asked, um, a, 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 a bit ago, what does what does a gosh, what was the question? It was something along the lines: What does um, a community um, look like that um, that is in that is in harmony or in kind of in sync with um, the police? You know, working together. And she threw out it: It would be a, a a white suburban neighborhood. If you think of a white suburban neighborhood. You don't see police typically every day, right? And why is that? And that's where we start getting to the root of, well, there's more activity and issues going on with other, with other neighborhoods. We start to unravel how police um, operate. And a lot of the stuff is passed along. A lot of the stuff is how society views things. You know, so we're, we're talking about a, a larger issue. But it, going back to your question, because I can get off and this is a very big topic. But if you talk about the police, one thing that I know that our police is trying to move towards is the mentality of being a warrior. Is how they put it. This is what local police um, chief had said. Trying to, and this is in his ideas. I think our statewide, but um, or somewhere in the U.S. that's trying to change this culture, moving from a warrior mentality to a protector mentality, because mm. that warrior mentality is looking for a conflict. It's looking for. Um, you know, meeting force with force, um, you know, meeting things with force. And me that mentality alone could help shift some things for the police. Absolutely. Um, and and I think that, you know, there, there has to be a recognition of this history. People people are only getting clued into what, what has happened to many communities. And these aren't just black communities. These aren't just people of color communities. These are often poor communities. And the thing is, is that many poor whites, um, you know, they've, they've experienced some of the same type of policing, but without maybe the, the level of the consequences. Um, but when we talk about how the police um, are working in the community, how are they truly listening to these concerns? How are they listening to what um, what communities are needing? Often, one of the things um, that people will go to is, and I, it's a it's a red herring, an argument that 
is unrelated to the direct issue of police brutality on people of color is, well, what about black-on-black crime? That's one of the things that's so frustrating to hear because, well, here, here's something else to point out. You know what's the biggest community for white people? White crime? White people. The community for Mexican-Americans? Mexican-Americans. This is not just black-on-black crime. That's actually statistically the same for every single ethnic community. But people don't talk about that because they want to say, well, look at this, look at what's happening in this community. So case in point, you know, that should not take away from the, the expectation of how our police are working with us. Um, I know I'm trying jumping over a, um, quite a bit of different things, but you also mentioned All Lives Matter. All Lives Matter, true. I'm down with that. Um, however, what did All Lives Matter come out of? It came out of Black Lives Matter. And it takes away from why did Black Lives Matter start? So if you just go to the, the root of it, it was started to address police policing. It was treated um, the dire consequences that were happening that are happening at higher rates for specifically black communities, black people. And this isn't just like hypothetical news. This is statistically we can see, you know, rates of being pulled over, New York stop and frisk, um, so many different tactics. So when people start to question, you know, what, what Black Lives Matter is all about, then they start to see that, yes, all lives should matter. That's, and you can believe that, but if you if you believe that, then let's address why Black Lives Matter, why Black lives aren't being um, um, protected in the same manner as other communities. That's when we start to get to it. It's, it should be something pretty clean cut, in my opinion. Once you start to see how policing has operated for many years, even before, web uh, body cam then you start to and statistically qualitatively all of that research then you start to think like wow this is not fair and does that mean that white people don't experience some of this no you can find examples where a black person was not killed in a in a routine stop you can find a, a, an example of a white person that experienced police brutality but we're talking about overwhelmingly different um, experiences that are happening in communities along race, along class, um, along along all these different lines. And that's when we start to get to the root of, well, let's start addressing this. Why are Black lives not mattering? Why is this playing out so differently for many of our communities? And then we start to see that this is a larger issue than just the police. Just by seeing the reaction to people's, um, people's visceral reaction to Colin Kaepernick taking a knee, right? It's a peaceful demonstration, yet... That was harsher than anything we saw for people that took guns to state capital um, because they had to wear a mask or that their haircut place was not open, right? And we have to ask ourselves, why is there a stark difference in how we as a society treat social justice um, in, in that way? So, anyways, it can feel like I'm on a soapbox a little bit. Hey, no, I I was waiting for it, baby. I was waiting for it. No, it is facts, though. We talk about this, and we always talk in defense mode, kind of. You brought this little warrior mentality that the police officers are using and so forth, and people respond back with the all lives matter and all this stuff. 
But it's funny because we do that because of defense, because it feels like it's going against us. But we got to mm, reach from yeah. here. First of all, A is how can I help? Second of all, let me see where this person's coming from, right? And that's mm-hmm. where that's where we, we can't be in defense mode, man. We got to take off our shield mm-hmm. and respect. You know, when I hear mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter, when I hear All Lives Matter, yes, 100% agree on all of it, but that's not the root of the situation. What's the root of the situation? We need to attack it now. And guess what? We may come to a point where, heck, Asian lives matter, women's lives matter, all that stuff, all that things are going to come along. But the topic of conversation right now is is that piece. So I agree with you 100%, mm-hmm. but we need to channel from ourselves and be able to know how can I help? And that's what's going to make a difference from everybody. Or we're going to be doing it because we have to, not because we want to. And mm-hmm. we, we look mm-hmm. at things a little bit differently that way. So, but yeah. So, yeah. Uh, hey, we, we got to wrap this baby up. But Steve, give one <laughs> thing out to out to your students. Word of advice, something you want to share with the world. All, all, uh, all 60 of our followers right now. <laughs> what do you want to say to them, baby? Well, I, I don't know what to say. I'd say that, you know, we all have different struggles, different struggles, though are not necessarily the same. I would say that we still keep pushing. We still we still try to do our best in every situation. We know that there are lots of factors that can make it way harder to, to, to get where we're trying to go. But we got to try to dig into that hope. And so, you know, even if you're um, knee deep in, in work or working for your degree working for for equity you know if there's no hope then it becomes a challenge to continue going so i would just encourage people to stay stay close to the things that bring them hope and uh, inspiration because that's going to be the stuff that we're going to need the most when when we're going through things like covid we're going through things like um, social justice issues we're going through things where um jobs economy so but the cool thing is that there's been a lot of stories where people are can have been showing their humanity and all of this. And that's, that's the stuff that brings me inspiration and hope too. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So you are my inspiration. You know that. I mean, you're my little brother. I don't really talk to you too much, but you know, you're a great father, <laughs> great, great uncle. Well, I appreciate that. You brother. know, um, uh, well, I love you too, man. Hey, we shared, a, we shared our, we shared our cell together. No, we shared go. our room. Yeah, we shared our room fighting over As our little sister bands got the bigger like room. <laughs> yeah, I know. And she got the TV too, man. Yeah. So, yep. Never. All never good. Forget. Ashley, someday, someday we'll find out you're not spoiled. But anyway, so, all right, man. So, hey, hey, thank you, Steven. Thank you. I uh, appreciate thank y'all. You. Thank y'all for having yeah. me on. And yeah, I love the, appreciate you all talking and keeping conversations going. And uh, I'm trying to, trying to look for, for what, what you can do. Oh, and I, what, what, what y'all can do Hey we will And whoever listened to this whole baby All 34 minutes of it Hey first of all Like, share, comment, rate uh, Find us on all our spots Follow our Instagrams uh, I think Steven's got like 9 million followers I'm not even positive yet Yeah right. but, <laughs> but again this is, uh, this is JB JP 41 And Steven next level mindset baby reminding you to chase greatness find phenomenal and dominate the day till next time